Can TCU find the end zone more as an offense against West Virginia? How do they match up against the Mountaineers? And are we about to see more of Shad Banks out of necessity? All that will be covered right now here on Locked on Horn Frogs, your team every day. You are Locked on Horn Frogs, your daily podcast on the TCU Horn Frogs, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. That's right, Locked on Horn Frogs, your team every day. I'm Stephen Simcox. Next to me is uh, freelance writer Matt Jennings, at Matt Jennings, at Matt A. Jennings. My apologies, Matt. The A is for Avery, right? That's correct. That is my middle name. I believe Matt was named after a Braves pitcher in the 90s. Is that correct? That is correct. Steve Avery, the least well-known member of their World Series rotation, but yes. There you go. For all you seam heads out there. Uh, seam heads is what I said. Um, baseball people, Steve Avery. Uh, if you have, you know, thoughts about him, comment on YouTube. That's going to get the people going. Anyway, we're talking TCU football today. On YouTube, you can subscribe to the Locked on Horn Frogs YouTube channel. You can also find us wherever it is you get your podcast in audio form. Uh, Frogs beat SME. We didn't get a chance to talk about that with Matt yet. And uh, Matt, I, I've discussed this a couple times this week now. Another game, sort of like Houston, where – Felt like they dominated. Also felt like there were, you know, some things that could be cleaned up. Uh, plays in that game they didn't make that could have led to a more lopsided score. Bottom line, they're three and one now. I will say you you sort of led the charge on this early in the season, and I wasn't on board. But as the season has progressed, I am starting to get more concerned about the O line. Not so much about pass protection, but uh, these short yardage situations, especially, just not a lot of push. Um, Amani did end up with over 100 yards. He leads the Big 12 in rushing, but I think situationally, it's problematic. What What's your kind of perspective on the offensive line at the moment as we you know sit here and uh, going into Week Five? I think they're solid. They are. I think both in pass pro and in run blocking. I would just be looking for things to be cleaner. I think that's where I'm kind of landing landing because, you know, you replace three solid starters on the interior of your line from a year ago. Uh, Steve Avila, one of which playing in the NFL doing well right now. Shout out. Um, But with those guys, they were very good at create at, at, at setting at setting seals in the run game well and giving Kendra Miller and Amari Mercado and Amani Bailey uh, like like clear holes to run through, right? And then Kendra Miller also had like this um, had an ability to kind of like create and um, and and push even further even after even if stuff was muddy, but generally stuff was pretty clean. Both in pass pro and in and in run blocking this year, there's just not those clean, clear holes as much, which I think is Amani Bailey leads the Big Twelve in rushing, having a good season thus far. But I think there's been a little bit of cap on of of a of a ceiling, I guess, on what he can do because he's such a one cut and accelerate guy, and he's not getting these clear lanes to run through. It's kind of muddy 
Um, and then he doesn't have the sort of shiftiness and elusiveness to kind of like make it work, keep the legs moving through that and then bounce and then create mm -hmm. something, right? Not like Kendry did. A great back and he's doing a good job, but like that aspect of his game's not there. And so he needs, in my opinion, those clean holes and he's not getting them. And then pass protection, what I saw on Saturday was a lot of kind of the interior of the offensive line kind of getting pushed back into Chandler's lap. Um, they, they cleaned it up and it got better as this, as the game went on. But those are the things that I'm seeing. It's just like not always a clean pocket, not always a clear lane um, and, and, and well-set blocks in, in the run game. And I think that's kind of what's limiting them. It got better as the, as the game went on, they are kind of leaning on teams and wearing them down over the course of the game, which is what you want to do. It's what you should do when you're the more talented, more physical team, which they have been for the last couple of weeks. Great. Um, but I, I, to your point, it does make me start to love a lot of the play calls that they've had in short yardage, but I do, I know I've, I've re I've, 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 I've killed him a lot over the course of the season for situational play calling, but it does give me a little bit of, you know, I get it in terms of what Kendall Bryles is kind of like trying to come up with some interesting or inventive ways to kind of get those short chunks of yardage. If you don't feel like you have confidence in your offensive line to get that push and make things clean. Um, I don't necessarily agree with all the calls, but I at least understand the logic of like, I'm not necessarily confident that you can create those holes and you end up with, you know, an end around to JP Richardson on fourth and short, which worked. So sure. But <laughs> I think he had like, yeah, he had like an option, option pitch there too. That was a strange, that was a strange play call, but yeah, it did work. I mean, he had to shake a tackle to, to get the first down, but he did that. Um, no, that's a really interesting perspective. I hadn't thought about that, the idea that he's getting more creative because he doesn't feel like they can just run the ball up the up the gut in a in a pinch. Um, I will say one weird thing about that to me was at the SMU game, they were running a lot of like – a lot. It's not like they have 100 plays in these situations. But uh, there were a few of these – like slow developing run plays where you're pulling guard and tackle, which like in my mind, I'm thinking if you have a no line that's struggling to get push, I'm not sure something like that's going to work unless the whole concept is just to freeze the backside. But um, anyway, you can, you can continue with your, with your point there. No. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm in agreement there. I think, you know, there are probably some things there's just some stuff that this, that this offensive line is I, I think they're improving. I think they're I think their performance, particularly in the second halves of the last two games, have been better than what we saw like against like Colorado. Against Colorado defense, that's very clear, and a Colorado defensive front that's very clear. It's not very good, right? Mm -hmm. It's it, but they are leaning more on the run game, and they're being more effective as games goes on. As games go on, so that's all good. Um, but yeah, I think there is a little bit of a lack of like full trust in what the offensive line can do. Um, I also think to your point, I think that's a little bit of the reason why Kendall Browse is like that, but you're seeing, I've made this point earlier in the season. It's, you know, it's what Jeff Levy does is what Josh Heupel does. Everyone who runs this offense, I think there is an, an, an innate hesitation among the folks who run the, the Bryles offense or variations of it. There is a hesitation or a lack of belief in your ability to get yardage once the spacing that the offense provides goes away, right? 
once you're in short yardage, once you're in the red zone, which I know we're going to talk about, and the, like, the defense is more condensed, there is just an inherent fear almost. It feels like, at least to me, watching these different offenses, not just TCU, there's a fear of like without the light box that this offense normally creates for us, do we have confidence that we're going to be able to create the lanes where we can get the yards that we need? Mm-hmm. And I don't think that they believe that they can. And maybe that's well-founded. Maybe they, maybe if they ran just simple inside zone or, or a simple counter or whatever it was, they get stuffed. I, I, but I feel like we haven't seen them try enough um, because it, right. it seems, at least with Kendall, it seems like it is more often than not the gadget plays, you know, or quick screens or things like things or those slow developing option, re- like, or, or pulling, mm-hmm. like just not, not their normal offense. And, um, you know, I, I heard, maybe I think it was Shahan J. Raja who made this, and I'm not sure if he's the person who originally said it, but he's the first person I heard say it. Uh, he's the person I heard first say it, making a joke about Jeff Levy, but I think it's true of all the folks who run this offense. He can get you 20 yards when you don't need it, but he can't get you two yards when you do. Right. That's the, that's the knock against the offense. Um, Now, again, if you can stay ahead of the chains and you can score points and you can just be efficient and just move the ball on on early downs and not get yourself in unfavorable down and distances, kind of doesn't matter. Right. Right. But TCU hasn't hit the the offense is hitting on that level yet. It's getting better. It's not to that level yet. Yeah. I mean, it, it it is to a certain extent nitpicking because they, they're averaging 500 yards. They're scoring the last two games by three possessions or more. Right. Yes. But even Sonny acknowledged in the press conference today, like they're leaving, they're leaving points on the board. He also said about the O-line specifically, um, that they have some nagging injuries that he feels like are keeping them from reaching their potential, which my guess is he's talking about Coker and Coleman because both those guys have left the game early in consecutive weeks uh, for different reasons. I also find it intriguing. He said they, they feel like they got seven guys. They're trying to get eight or nine. You know, Ben Taylor Whitfield has been the dude off the it's bench. a lot of reps. Yeah, they're getting a lot of reps, true freshman on Duncanville, which I guess there's two different ways you can look at that. One, that's awesome for him because it means he's immediately just impressed the coaching staff enough that they feel like they can throw him in the fire at different positions. Uh, two, what's going on with some of these other guys that you that you think should be contributors? Um, and, yeah, I mean, I, and Colton Deary is sort of – it seems like he's a, is a center and that might be, like, where they want him, and so there's not much positional flex there. But also guys like Garrett Hayes and others haven't really found their way in the rotation yet. Well, and, you know, I think Sonny Dykes thinks really highly of A.J. Ricker, um, and they put out a really good product last year. Jury's out for me. It's too early because I want to see how they develop that off that position group's talent over time. But I do think the results you're seeing right now are kind of a continued indictment of um, Gary Patterson's just refusal to have an actual offensive line coach for like four years. <laughs> like once Chris Thompson left to Florida state, then they were just like, Jared Anderson, you do it. And you see the results of that. Like they had individual players like Steve Avila and Lucas Niang who were dudes in that group. But they don't have a depth of guys who have been preparing and developing and putting on the weight and getting uh, and, and, and getting to the position where they were ready to be starters. And so then you end up with 
you know, you've got Brandon Coleman and Andrew Coker, who are two guys who are solid, but I think many TCU fans will tell you like there are flaws to their game. And that, I mean, that's okay, but yeah. those are your two longtime starters. Then you have to backfill with Willis Patrick and Colton Deary. And then you got John Lance who's getting on the field. You just, and now you have Taylor Whitfield as a, as a true freshman. That just speaks to, yeah, you don't have a, you know, a Garrett Hayes who was a blue chip recruit, who was your highest rated offensive line recruit ever, who just like can't get on the field. Mm-hmm. Just like it is a testament to the lack of development that has been that position group. So I, again, give him a little bit of grace and I'm, but I am curious to see, okay, like once you get, now you're about to be two, three recruiting cycles in, what does your player development at that position group look like? So I'll be, you know, that's something to watch in 2024 for sure. Um, but they're making do with what they have. And if they're injured and banged up, then that, you know, makes it tougher. If you heard my youngest son crying, he also has concerns about uh, the TC red zone offense. So, Matt, uh, first, if you'll just explain briefly, you you retweeted a graphic today from uh, Parker Fleming at Stats of War on Twitter X. He's covering college football really nationally now, but has an interest in TCU. He has these infographics uh, that are sort of matchup, you know, models for each game. Um, so TCU is doing well as far as quality possessions go, but they're not doing great in turning those quality possessions into points. Is that correct? Yeah, and shout out to Parker Fleming. Um, does these every week. Follow him at Stats of War. He'll do it if you follow an FBS team. He will do that. He will do one for your game. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I tweeted out the TCU uh, West Virginia one today, um, and they're, and they're all really always really helpful, especially if you can't watch every team and know like what everyone's tendencies are. Like they give you a sense of it allows you to put numbers to stuff. This is the thing that I find really helpful about analytics is it just gives you like a quantifiable thing to point to when like other, when to kind of confirm or help you understand what you think you're seeing with the eyeball test. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like to this point, we've kind of been saying all year, it's like, man, it just feels like TCU's just not getting it done. Like in terms of finishing drives in terms of like in the red zone, like things like that. And this is, and Parker's way of kind of, uh, uh, capturing that he it's a it's a thing he calls echo basically it just means quality possessions and there's he has a he's an echo rate which is the the rates the percentage of your possessions that you would call quality possessions that basically mm-hmm. lead to scoring opportunities right um to oversimplify it and then points per echo so points per your quality possessions well tcu on offense doing awesome in terms of echo rate quality possession rate right Number eight in the country, 63.3% of their possessions are uh, are what you would call quality possessions. That's great. That's really high relative to the rest of college football. Awesome. Their points per echo, points per quality possession, 69th in the country out of 130 teams. 3.84 points per echo, points per quality possession, right? Which is not great. It's fine. It's not, it's just middle of the road. It's not amazing. It's just fine. And that's really, I think, what we're seeing here. You're seeing a team that can rack up yardage, a team that can, is getting better at like not going, our concern early in the season was like, they're going three and out, their possessions are ending mm-hmm. really quick because of the tempo, and they're playing cleaner, they're sustaining drives better, they're leaning on the run game when it's appropriate, they're, they're, they're executing better, um, at, at, at basically have a position on that side of the ball. But when they get down, you know, 
in not even just in the red zone, but just like inside the opposing 40, they, you know, they, they settle for field goals too often. And yeah. that's kind of what that, that state's kind of that stat, those stats are kind of pointing to. And again, that's the, the big question mark about running this style of offense is if you, if you're not scoring from 40 yards out and then you get closer as to the end zone and the field gets smaller, can you still run your offense and, mm-hmm. and be as effective? And I think TCU has the tools to do that. Um, uh, you know, you have, they, they're really trying to get Jared Wiley the ball in the red zone. Um, yeah. And they did that effectively against SMU. Um, they've got Chandler Morris can bail them out of some scenarios. If they get into an unfavorable down and distance, he can get you an extra set of downs with his legs. Um, he can get escape the pocket and kind of create something in the passing game, um, which you can need if a play breaks down, that's awesome. But ultimately the thing that's going to separate this team from being, you know, they're, they're three and one right now. Mm-hmm. Being should be four. Right. Be, should be four. No, were it not for a superhuman Travis Hunter interception, you're probably sitting four and right now and you feel really good. Right. Yeah. They have a chance still they're, they're tied for first at one and in the big 12. They have a chance to get to the big 12 title game. They do. I don't know if I not necessarily, I'm, I'm not right now picking them to do that. Mm-hmm. The difference between them doing it and not is going to be whether or not they can improve in that area. If they can finish their drives better because um, they can get quality drives, but are they going to get the points they need to stand up against the Kansas States and the Oklahoma's and the Texas's that are left on their schedule? The good news for them is that other than they, the bad news is they have to face all three of the other big 12 title contenders, the, the top contenders for the conference championship game right now. Yeah. That's not ideal. Those are teams that are all left on the schedule. The good news for them is the rest of the league looks very uh, beatable, not necessarily mm-hmm. picking them to win every single one of those games. But other than those three games, if they played every other team on their schedule tomorrow, TCU would be favored in whatever, whatever remaining number, whatever, uh, you know, seven games or five mm-hmm. games there are against their other opponents against Baylor, Iowa state, West Virginia, BYU, Texas Tech. If they played any of those teams today, they would be favored in those games. If you clean that up and you can steal one or two against those other two teams, against those other three teams, then you suddenly like the, the complexion of the season looks very, very different, but that's really the thing that's going to separate whether this is like pretty good team that wins like eight games and a team that can be something more. Right. There's a path there for sure. I have some thoughts on that. TCU's going to get some help uh, at the receiver position this week. And we'll talk about Shad Banks maybe being thrust in the lineup more. All that coming up next year on Lockdown Horn Frogs. All right. DoorDash. You know about DoorDash. Uh, you probably order food, order takeout from DoorDash. But did you know you can also now get groceries from DoorDash? If you forget something like syrup for your pancakes or butter for your waffles, your favorite coffee creamer, DoorDash's grocery delivery can get what you need right when you need it. Uh, love the convenience of what you want getting right to your door. DoorDash is the way to go. Um, you've trusted DoorDash to deliver your restaurant favorites. Now you can get grocery delivery as well. Thousands of grocery stores to choose from. You'll find the best one in your neighborhood and boost your local economy with each and every dollar. And if you want even more value, you can save on all grocery and restaurant favorites with a $0 delivery fee on eligible orders with a DoorPass membership. Get 50% off your first DoorDash order up to a $20 value when you use the promo code LOCKDOWNCOLLEGE at checkout. Again, that's 50% off up to $20 value uh, and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code 
Locked On College. One more time, that code is Locked On College. Get 50% off your first order. Use DoorDash now for your grocery needs as well. Yeah, so, I, I mean, I think the, the good news about all this is you're running a new offensive system. You're four weeks in, and so they can get better at these things. Um, I, I feel like the real, like, the strange thing about this is we've talked a lot about the need for explosive plays, and, and like, they have hit some of those. But in all honesty, like, part of the issue is they've had a lot of long drives, and – when you're doing that, that's fine, but that means you can't have, you know, silly penalties. You can't set yourself behind the chains and put yourself in third and long, and that's happened in the red zone. Uh, Sonny talked today about one one five-yard penalty this week where, you know, they had a guy in motion. They had a, a tight end who was covering up because he's lined up wrong. And so that's that type of stuff is still happening with the install. You hope that becomes more second nature you know, as, as the year goes on um, one, a couple guys that might be able to help them in the red zone. So Dalen, Wright, I never really got uh, the, what he was dealing with from an injury standpoint, but um, he hasn't been on the field since game one. And he, according to Sonny Dykes will be full go against West Virginia. Also Jack Besh, who was dealing with an illness last week. Um, you know, Dalen made some plays, Matt, even though he was late to coming to fall camp and still kind of feeling things out. He was able to do some things in the season opener. Um, he's big. He's physical. He did score a touchdown in that Colorado game. So you got two players that uh, could could help stem the tide a little bit. Um, and maybe one of those guys could answer the question that we've all been asking about who, who kind of emerges at that wide receiver position moving forward. And I want to be fair here because I was texting you about this during the Houston game. And I'm going to eat my crow here. I texted you during the Houston game, and I was like, yeah, I think I've seen enough of Jalen Robinson. Shout out Jalen Robinson. Had a really nice game against SMU. Made some clutch catches and some important catches. And, you know, I don't want to oh, I don't want to put too much stock into what a head coach or, or position coaches say because, you know, coach speak is a thing. Mm-hmm. But Sonny Dykes, and we talked about this last week, has emphasized – the need just like the importance of practice reps and practice reps together. Yeah. Um, and Jalen Robinson, Dalen Wright guys who have because of injuries or in Dalen Wright's case, just arriving late because of the, the, you know, needing to finish credits at Minnesota, just not been around and getting the reps in practice. And, you know, Jalen Robinson getting more reps recently in practice, showed out well against SMU. And so like, to your point, uh, there are guys, there are opportunities, there are, uh, you know, there are different players who you can point to. It's like, maybe this is going to be the guy who can kind of help them kind of alleviate some of, some of these woes. Right. And again, I just, I keep going back to a year ago where um, I think we undersold the importance and the value of the experience and the chemistry and the reps that the whole offense had together, right? Like other than uh, Alana Lee and Jared Wiley, um, basically everybody else on that offense had played, you know, two, three, four years together in, mm-hmm. in some instances, especially Max Duggan and that group of receivers for the most part. And 
there's a level of chemistry. There's a level of knowing exactly where a guy's going to be and exactly how a guy's going to read what the defense is doing and how he's going to react to it. And so you know you can put the ball in a certain place or you know the ball is going to be in a certain place. You know as an offensive lineman exactly how you're, you can trust your, your, the guy next to you to pick up a certain assignment, uh, to pick up a certain uh, blitzer, whatever it is. And there was just that level of, uh, you know, in, instinctive chemistry and um, just just reps and experience together. There's not a way to replace that. And mm-hmm. so I do think there is upside for this team, which has a lot of either young guys or transfers, to grow and get better in those respects over the course of the season and to get those reps both in practice and in games together. Um, still would love to see – and maybe that's really what allows you to find a number one receiver. Maybe that's what allows the offensive line to gel and really be able to establish itself from the first snap instead of, you know, only really establishing dominance later in games uh, as they lean on teams, but being able to establish it from the jump. Maybe that's the key as you go on. And the good news for you, well, good news and bad news, um, you know, you don't run into the again those three conference title contenders perceived ones at least for another at least another month um k-state's the first one and you get texas a couple weeks after that and you get oklahoma to close out the year now you got to go on the road three out of the next four games that's not easy but you're doing it against teams that are also figuring things out and nursing injuries or haven't looked all the way together you've got a chance to do some stuff that could all go sideways this week if you lay an egg against west virginia who has a very good defense has a good running game could absolutely mess some things up for you um so you gotta you gotta be ready for that team this is easily the best defense that you have played so far this season but you can go out and play um as expected um this week and then over your next three games you know you you probably feel really good as you enter that last sprint of the season where you're going to have all those tests against those conference title contenders so flipping to the defense, another really good performance by uh, Joe Gillespie's squad on Saturday. You know, they, they held SMU to uh, 17 points, only, uh, well, I guess two touchdowns in that ball ballgame. Um, but uh, Johnny Hodges has been uh, banged up and didn't get, like, an official timetable from Sonny at the press conference today, but murmurs around the program or this might be a little bit longer than just a week to week type of situation. Uh, so Shad Banks started and I thought he played well on Saturday. Now I feel like this is an interesting game because with a run heavy team, as you said, in West Virginia uh, and not a team that's looking to necessarily isolate guys in space uh, from an athleticism standpoint, you're going to miss Johnny this, this week in my mind, not that Shad can't, can't be physical and handle it, but I just think that combination of Johnny and Jamoy in a game like this is an advantage. Uh, but I, I know there, there were a lot of people that thought this was a – that Shad should be on the field more. And now it looks like that opportunity might be here whether, you know, the coaching staff is really prepared for it or not. Yeah, um, they, he's going to get – it's a physical team they're going to be facing this this week. And West Virginia kind of doesn't have a choice. It's unclear if Garrett Green's going to go this week mm-hmm. or not, um, who had been starting who had been starting at quarterback to begin the season. Um, I, think he, I think he threw um, like 
I think he threw like a couple passes against Pitt and then came out and I think it was uh, Nico Mar- uh, Mar- Marshall. Um, I butchered that name. I'm very sorry. Um, who played most of the game, if not all of it, against Texas Tech? I didn't get. I, I was. Yeah, uh, he, was he played. He played from the jump against Tech. Yeah, he mm-hmm. started that game. And not super effective. Neither of them completing even 57% of their passes. Um, and so, you know, I think your your goal, if you're if you're Gillespie, is say, okay, we're playing downhill this this week against the run game, and uh, given given the receivers some one on one matchups on the outside, and saying, okay, you go win them. We don't trust. And and if you go win them, quarterback, you make the throws. Whoever's playing quarterback. And show us that show us that we need to respect that before we do anything else. And so I think that that's good for a player like Shad Banks, who is just so fast. And we've seen him get into the backfield and wreak havoc um, when he's when when they allow him to. And so um, I, you know maybe, the, uh, but it is a different sort of assignment than what they you know as a former receiver and as probably the fastest of the group of the uh, out of the linebacker group. Um, what they normally probably look for him to do is, you know, be able to cover guys in space. So it's a little bit different. Um, but if they allow him to play, um, play fast and, 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 and get after and just see ball, get ball. I think they're, you know, they have a chance to, he has a chance to make some big plays this week. Um, that's the thing that gives me confidence. That's the thing that would give me confidence if I'm a TCU player heading into this game is even if you're facing the, the toughest defense that you face this season, this season, and you are, um, I, I don't have a ton of confidence in the West Virginia offense to be able to move the ball effectively and consistently. I think SMU's offense is better. I think SMU's offense has better players at the skill positions overall, and you did well against them. You really only allowed, what, 10 points against them before garbage time? You right. know, I, I, I think you feel pretty good. Yeah, I think you do too. And we'll uh, break that down a little further next uh, here on Lockdown Horn Frogs. All right, you don't want to be in an emergency situation. Remember, you're isolated and you can't get to the hospital immediately. But if you find yourself in that situation, you definitely will be prepared. And Jace Medical has made that possible. Uh, with the Jace case, they have five life-saving antibiotics. This is not your normal first aid kit. This has more than just Band-Aids and ACE bandages and all those types of things. Um, it has actual medications that you can use if you had to. Um, they have doctors on call. Uh, you can go to jacemedical.com. Again, that's J-A-S-E medical.com. Use the promo code LOCKDOWN at checkout to get $20 off. Uh, again, you'll be prepared with storms, shortages, uh, pandemics, supply chain issues. You need to be prepared now more than ever. Jace Medical is simple. You go online, fill out a form, and then you get a prescription, life-saving medications right to your door. The Jace case gives you peace of mind so that you're not hoping that you have access to the medication in an emergency. Jace Medical makes sure you have the medication in hand. Again, that promo code is locked on at checkout for $20 off. Uh, Get a Jace case and make sure you're prepared today. Yeah, so TCU West Virginia this week, uh, second game of the Big 12 schedule for both these teams. An interesting matchup. Uh, uh, so follow me here. Watching West Virginia last week, uh, they the way they played reminded me a lot of the 2020 TCU Horn Frogs. Now I think right. Max was not. I think Max was not as limited as the two quarterbacks that West Virginia has, but that was a team that. If they could physically impose their will on an opponent, 
then they would rely on that and just go with it. And they did that against Kansas. They did it against Texas Tech. Um, and pulled off a few upset wins against Oklahoma State and Texas. But they had a good defense. They had a good stable of running backs and an offensive line they could lean on. And so West Virginia's kind of got that vibe going on. They haven't thrown the ball well this year. They don't, you know, they don't want to get in those situations where they have to throw the football. So with the athletes TCU has, even with a very good West Virginia defense, Matt, I feel like this is a game they should win if they handle their business. Um, I know you you saw earlier this week S&P Plus had uh, the Frogs as like a 14-point favorite. Odds makers have been anywhere from like 9 to 13 or 14. Yeah. What is your take on, on kind of how this game could play out or the way it could go well for TCU? This feels like a game that the – both the advanced numbers and the odds makers are seeing something that I'm missing because at first glance, I saw this game. I was like, look, like West Virginia playing better than expected, just took tech, took it to Texas tech a week ago. Um, won a game that I didn't think they had any chance of winning. And they have an opportunistic defense against a TCU offense that has sputtered at times, uh, especially in scoring opportunities and like I just like I thought TCU would be favored, but I didn't think it would be again. Odds makers, it's it's moved depending on which you know, it opened at as high as thirteen, then it got down to like nine and a half, depending on where you're looking at. It's climbing back up mm-hmm. toward like eleven. Um, SP Plus, Bill Bill Connolly at ESPN, his his numbers have it projected as fourteen. Parker, who we mentioned earlier, it's closer to like seven. So it it, it varies a little bit. There's a little there's 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 a there's a there's a range in terms of how people are kind of perceiving this matchup, but generally, the the numbers and the odds makers are pretty, uh, you know, uh, pretty optimistic about TCU's chances. So I feel like I'm, maybe I'm just like overly critical <laughs> watching TCU play and just like, again, the way this goes sideways for you is if you get behind the chains because one thing West Virginia does pretty well is they defend the pass pretty well. They're according to Parker, they're 20th in the country in uh, a success rate allowed on passing plays, only 33% of passing plays against them are what you would call successful. Um, and um, EPA per pass they allow is also like 16th, like they're really good. And so what TCU should do in this game um, against a, uh, conversely, West Virginia's running defense is not as good. They should lean on Amani Bailey. They should lean on that run game. And they should, um, you know, use that setup, play action and RPOs to, you know, pick your spots in the passing game. And just, you should be able to run the ball and lean on that and win the game. But seeing what TCU has done at times this, this season and getting a little cute, getting away from the run game and then struggling in the red zone. And then if Chandler Morris has a turnover or something, this could get sideways on you fast, right? Um, so that's what I would worry about. But I do think that formula, if you trust your run game and you're able to establish it, I don't think West Virginia um, is well-equipped to stop you. And I think if defensively, if you don't have to respect their passing game, um, which they have not shown yet that, that you have to, that sets you up to be able to kind of probably get out to a lead early and sit on it. That's kind of the ideal situation, I think, for TCU in this game. And I think it's the one that the numbers are probably projecting, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you can get out to an early lead, that'd be huge. So I think that first scripted drive's gonna be big. Hopefully, it's gonna be a great atmosphere, night game. Uh, you know, they're, they're doing a blackout, all those things. 
you know, I want to say that plays in TCU's favor, but the last time they did a blackout, they won the game, but they fell behind K-State like 24 to by 6 early, early in that ball game. And then they won by two uh, possessions, so who cares? Yeah, they won by two possessions. And so, you know, that was kind of the story of that team last year. They just fought through the adversity at a high level. I, I will uh, say – well, can I just like hop in just one second there? I will say, again, the thing that kind of gives you hope if you're a TCU fan, these last two games – they won in ways that they really didn't win games a year ago. Like mm. Colorado, Oklahoma, Iowa State are kind of the only games where they, they like – and even Colorado, they were leading by one at half. Yeah. But like games where they like got out to a lead and just like pushed the other team away and it wasn't in doubt really at all in the second half, mm-hmm. right? The last two games, they – got out to a lead, they held the team at arm's length, and then they built on that lead. And you get into the third quarter, and, like, regardless of what the score is, like, neither of these last two games ever felt like there was a doubt that TCU was going to win either of them. Yeah. And that's just not a way that they played a year ago. And part of that's, I don't think Houston's very good. I don't know how good SMU is, right? So, yeah, it plays into it. But even against some of the not-so-awesome teams last year, um, they still, you know, struggle to really separate themselves. So I do think that gives you a little bit of hope for this team of like, oh, maybe this, that's what you should do if you are a better team, more talented team, more athletic team against teams that you have those mismatches, you should be able to exploit them and do that to them and where it's not in doubt. The fact that they are doing that, again, com- the, the competition, we've noted that they're, you know, not the highest level of competition last two weeks, but that's right. encouraging to me. They can keep doing that, and on paper at least, West Virginia, Iowa State, BYU, those next three games all look like similar matchups in that regard. I think you feel pretty good, but you have to execute. You have to make good on it. You do. I'm pretty confident this week, and it's not because I don't have respect for West Virginia. I like what they're doing. I think they're finding creative ways to win, and they have a a really good unit in their defense. It's just because football's a game of matchups, and I feel like TCU has some favorable ones here. But – I've been wrong before, and so There's, we'll see. West Virginia is so going to win by 10 points now. We've jinked it so hard. Yeah, some some dude like Mountaineer Mama 24 is clipping this right now and is going to put it all over the internet when uh, when C.J. Donaldson runs all over us. I don't think that will be the case, but we'll see what happens. Thank you to Matt Jennings. This is the Lockdown Horn Frogs. It's your team every day.